I'm Sarah. And I'm Esme. And this is One with the Prairie. Where we Gen Zers take on prairie life. Like churning butter. Like salting our meats before winter. Like baling hay. Like bringing the cows home after dark. And finally, like having a really hard life without indoor plumbing that we will probably never understand. So welcome to One with the Prairie, where we hashtag bring the bonnet back. We'll prairie until the cows come home. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to One with the Prairie. I'm Esme. Hi, I'm Sarah. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to be doing a weekly podcast on all things prairie life slash comparing that to our quarantine life, <laughs> which is somewhat prairie time. related. <laughs> somewhat prairie related. We're getting there. Yeah. yeah. So Sarah, tell us how you got interested in prairie things and why we're making a prairie podcast. <laughs> so for me, growing up, I think we have very similar stories, but I grew up, my mom was really into the Little House on the Prairie series. So mm-hmm. I read all the books through, started with Little House on the Big Woods, all the way, followed Laura and Mary, <laughs> um, got very attached to them. And there's this one scene that I absolutely love where Laura is like, she gets a fur mink and she says, my my fur mink was free and it was prettier than Nellie's. And that's like what I fell in love with her because she's so sassy and so great. Um, but I think that the books themselves are really interesting because they delve really into like, oh, let's learn how like Pa builds a well or like makes a house. And it's kind of insane because I can't even imagine doing that now. What was um, your favorite character? Yeah. You said Laura? Bes- I love Laura because, I mean, she's the main character. So you like feel for her. Yeah. Um, but other than that, Pa seems really cool because he's so independent and, like, tells fun stories, plays the fiddle. Like, what a well-rounded guy, you know? What about you? <laughs> Why? Why? This <laughs> is highly important. It's all about the fiddle. <laughs> what is your interest um, in prairie lifestyle? Yes, very similar to yours. Um, <laughs> I've, been in, I've been, you know, involved and interested in the prairie, um, you know, since I was five years old, so that's been a long, long time now. Wow, um, what a true prairie fanatic. <laughs> yes. Um, I read the American Girl doll books. Please sponsor us. Um, I read those. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I read those growing up, and I loved Kirsten. She had these cool braids that she, like, she braided her hair, and then she twisted it on the sides of her head, and then she pinned it. It was awesome. I really wanted hair like that. She came, <laughs> she came from Sweden. And then she went to live with her family in America, and she basically was, like, very, very prairie. <laughs> she very had prairie. She had a prairie lifestyle going on that I got to learn about. I got to learn about how, you know, they were constantly afraid of bears, how they got honey, how they salted their meats. And wow. I just fell in love with, I don't know, all the intricacies of the life. Like, I loved it. And I also loved, yeah. like, the wardrobe and attire and everything. And so... Yeah, I'm excited to kind of learn from from this podcast a little bit more about prairie life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you read Kirsten's book, right? Yes. Okay. The best, how many the best times, book. How many times would you say you read it? That's what I want to know. Several, at least five. <laughs> when was the most recent time that you read it? Recent time? Okay, sadly, I haven't read it recently, but I feel like in these quarantine sadness times, I need it. Got gotcha, you. Got gotcha. you. Yeah. But anyway, okay, uh, Sarah, this week, how has quarantine been treating you? Hmm, well, I am currently in New York, and the weather here has actually been pretty good, not too humid. I have spent the past two or three days 
in an obsessive plant slash pot scenario where our family has a lot of aloe plants and they were really, really overcrowded in our pots and nobody else was doing anything about them. So I like took them all apart and separated all the babies and the, or the pups wow. as they call them. Green um, thumb. I know. And <laughs> I am, have potted them and I am now, now we have, I think I counted yesterday, we have 93 aloe plants oh my and God. I don't know what we're going to do with them. <laughs> So it sounds like quarantine is making you crazy. Yeah, I have gotten super into aloe for a very random amount of time. Yeah. What have you been up to? Um, well, I kind of just sit around all day. Um, my highlight of the day is when I take a towel and I sit outside in the sunshine and then I come back inside and realize that I have the whole rest of the day to fill with things to do. So not as fun as your aloe plants. That's quite relatable. Um, yeah. Um, it's a great time, but I imagine I feel a little bit like the, the, uh, pioneers that we're going to talk about later mm. in our prairie hardship section. Ooh, exciting. Wow. So many okay. great segments coming your way. Oh, we have so many good segments. Wow. <laughs> okay. Moving on to our segment called Prairie Project. Do, so do, this do, is do. the project. <laughs> we're going to have a sting for that eventually. Yeah. That'll be really there. cute. More, we're getting there, you know? Um, so our prairie project is basically like we're going to do some kind of homemade craft every week that you all can do with us that's kind of, that's prairie related that's an actual like part of the prairie lifestyle. And Sarah, tell us about some like upcoming crafts that we have after yeah. this one. So today we'll be talking about maple syrup and a maple sugar that they make in the little house. Um, coming up, we're going to do one about making and sewing your own shirts. So what it was like for them to make their own clothes. Yeah, that was well, hell for us. <laughs> that is its own story, own podcast. Stay tuned for that one. Um, also coming up, we'll do maybe some baking episodes, baking bread, um, making your own brewing beer, fermentation, kombucha, yeah. all some great yeah. things in store. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. I'm excited. Yeah. My my dad has been brewing beer for like 30 years now or started brewing beer 30 years ago. So he helped us brew beer and um, it it went OK. But wait for that in our maybe week three podcast and we'll tell you all about it slash how to do it yourself. <laughs> yes, that we will. So our first our first one is about the maple sugar. And why did we decide to do this as my? I forget. We read about it in the Little House on the Prairie book. I'm pretty right. sure. I mean, this right. is straight from the source. This is straight from textbook. So I got Ezzy to read the first one, which is Little House in the Big Woods. And in this book, they, during the sugar snow, they go out, whatever, and they um, harvest the maple syrup and use the maple syrup to create like a sweet candy, which is what we attempted to do. Exactly. Yeah, and it's actually like word for word in the book. Um, okay, so I'll st I'll start with a brief history of maple syrup because that's what we're all here for. Yeah, I'm interested in learning more about like when did they start doing this? Why are they doing this? How did they learn how to do this? Totally. I, I agree. Maple syrup is the number one um, confectionery <laughs> condiment in the world. It seriously okay. is. Perfect for pancakes and waffles. Perfect. And French okay, toast. Okay, so... Okay. Oh, wow, I want that now. Okay, early settlers in the U.S. Northwest and Canada learned about sugar maples from Native Americans. And the urban myth is that the chief of a tribe threw a tomahawk at a tree, sap ran out, and his wife then cooked venison in the liquid and realized that it was syrup. 
Um, another theory is that Native Americans stumbled upon sap running from a broken maple, maple branch. So, you know, there are many options there. Okay, from the 17th century onward, which, by the way, we're in 1873 now, if you're wondering. Welcome to 1873. Forgot to preface that. Woo! Uh, <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> um, 17th century onward, dairy farmers who wanted to supplement their income or who wanted a source of sweetener that was better and cheaper than sugar or molasses used to drill small holes in the trees during winter and spring. And then farmers, this was like the kind of old-fashioned way to do it, farmers hung buckets under the sugar bushes. Um, so that's what they call the maple trees. So mm-hmm. they would hang, hang buckets, and then they would take the substance to a house that they built on their land call, that they called the sugar house, okay. which was usually built in the woods. And that is where they would essentially boil off um, maple syrup into um, the uh, boil off sap into maple syrup, the maple syrup that we know, because sap is ninety eight percent water. Just had that fact off the top of my really? head. Totally. Wow, what an intellectual. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so they basically <laughs> boiled off most of the water to be left with the syrup. Okay, so then when we're comparing, which by the way, then Sarah, you have to tell us because I don't know. How, like, how this relates to Little House on the Prairie. Like, what did they to do to get their syrup? Okay, yeah, I'll but, talk about that. Okay, good. Because, okay, so then, now, if we flash forward, you know, a couple hundred years or whatever, to serious sugar makers now, people mm-hmm. who make maple syrup, like Kirk, Kirkland brand maple syrup, which we use, sponsor us. Um, serious <laughs> sugar. We love Kirkland. Sh- <laughs> we love Kirkland. Anything Costco branded. Ah, <laughs> uh, we love it. Um, okay, serious so sugar makers now, they use tubing systems where they bore holes in sugar maples in early spring um, with a cordless drill, and then they insert plastic spouts into the holes, and then the spouts are connected to, like, huge webs of plastic tubing that route the sap into larger tanks. So it's obviously, like, all, like, a much more supported process. And then, actually, they use reverse osmosis now to remove some of the water that the early, earlier pioneers and settlers would have to boil off. So that, that was super interesting. Oh. And they also use a vacuum process um, to get more sap out of the trees than what would normally just drain out. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, they found a way to, like, totally, you know, or at least make it, make it easier and kind of, yeah, um, more supported. So... How did, how did Laura et al. do it, Sarah? Yeah. So I have my uh, Little House in the Big Woods book with me right here. And what they did essentially is there's this whole chapter about um, the maple sugar and the maple syrup and that whole season. And it first started off with Pa going to Ma about um, their grandpa having a sugar snow. And so I did some research to figure out like what exactly the sugar snow was and what that really meant. And I actually, it was like really weird because I couldn't find a clear description, but um, they suppose that it happens during a cold spell that essentially delays the time when the trees start to form leaves. And because of this, there is a longer run of sap. So it's a better time to Mm -hmm. like extract the maple, um, the sap to create the maple syrup. Um, And it's supposedly created by a weather pattern of some very, very cold days to days with the temperature above freezing that could be mixed with rain and Ultimately, what this does is in like the actual weather aspect, it creates a top layer of sugar snow, uh, which is a snow with a very granulated texture. And so that's kind of like the indication that now is the time to start um, getting the hot syrup and getting the sap from the trees. And so this is actually the sugar snow is what they use in the recipe that we looked at um, or the part of the book where they grab the 
sugar snow and then they Uh pour and they boil this um the fresh um the hot syrup they get like Uh they boil it really really hot they pour it over the snow and then when it hardens it becomes this like squiggly sweet candy that they can make circles out of and curlicues um and so, I mean, that's what we did, too, in a very uh, modified format um, that so, we will discuss more about our uh, success. Um, so what you're saying is that the sugar snow is both the time that they are um, ready to harvest the, the sap and mm-hmm. also the time that they would make some fun candy. Yes. because Using the sugar snow. Exactly. Because the sugar snow okay. is the time and the weather. It's just... Genius. That's genius. Well, Um, Sarah, we tried to make this this candy, (laughs) but um, it wasn't exactly during the time of sugar snow. We went fully rogue. We made Um, it in March. March? We made it in March. Um, I'll (laughs) I'll give the recipe right now. So basically, okay, so the recipe that you can find from the Little House books online it says to use one cup of molasses and one cup brown sugar, and then you essentially boil the molasses and the sugar together until they reach 300 degrees. And then essentially you drop this like hot steaming, like candy liquid mm-hmm. onto snow or like crushed ice. However, Sarah and I were like, we don't need this <laughs> recipe. So <laughs> we were in California. It was what? The middle of March, probably 60 degrees. We, it doesn't snow here. It does not snow. <laughs> So instead, we decided to modify ours, and we had a aluminum sheet pan um, mm-hmm. that had p- pretty tall walls, maybe two or three inches high, and we filled it with water and stuck it in the freezer overnight to create, like, a sheet of ice. <laughs> that was pretty great. Iconic. <laughs> if I do say so myself. It was great. And then we essentially just threw some Kirkland bread maple syrup, which, by the way, is actually really good maple syrup. Like, mm-hmm. we love it. We threw some into a pot. Mm -hmm. We stuck a candy thermometer, which is essential. You need a thermometer, guys, because otherwise you're going to burn the candy and it's like, it's hard. So yeah, make sure you have a thermometer. And then you essentially also get it up to 275, 300 300 degrees. And then you just pour the candy out onto your sheet pan of ice. It hardens instantly. And then you have this like really sweet, lovely, chewy candy in strips that are extremely easy to make. And also you can make different shapes. Patterns. Yeah. Spell words. You can spell words. It's quite fun. <laughs> it's very fun. It's also for children, but hey, we love it anyway. Channel your inner child that loves maple yeah. syrup and enjoys it. Eat it in multiple forms. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think this was experiment was a success. I agree. I agree completely. Really tasty. Very easy to do. Probably took us all of like 10, 15 yeah, minutes to heat up the uh maple syrup and that was about it yeah i fully agree it did not take long this is this is one of our easier experiments i feel like yeah stay tuned for some uh (laughs) more difficult things coming soon sometimes (laughs) oh man okay moving on so that's our prairie project um send us in our instagram dm us like your candy that you make i don't know if there is there a name for it that they call it in the book is it just like maple syrup candy I guess it's just... Yeah, look up maple syrup candy. Yeah. We'll send a link when we uh, release this podcast. Yeah. So stay tuned. Yeah. Actually make it, though. It's it's really fun. It gets you in the prairie mood. You can wear your bonnets and your, you know, uh, 
what what not that you own while you're making your butter. Mm-hmm. Lots of different definitely just to get you in the mood. <laughs> oh, I also looked up uh, an interesting. Uh, oh, I also just looked up like how did people preserve their foods in other ways besides you know mm-hmm. besides having maple syrup something that would last long because you know they obviously yeah. didn't have refrigerators they didn't have ways of storing food um, for long periods of time beyond like or, you know food that that couldn't be stored outside um and yeah. so they found ways of like preserving and there are many different ways that they preserved which were pickling so they pickled like fruits or they pickled like all di- different kinds of things because scurvy was a big problem at that time they also dried mm-hmm. um different different things like different vegetables generally and they would put them yeah. like outside on a sunny day but you can't put the vegetables like on a like basically fully exposed to the sun you have to put them under like a cheesecloth so that they have like the right amount of light Hmm. yeah oh interesting i know i thought that was interesting and then they also salted their meat dried their meat and smoked their meat oh yeah there was definitely a part in little house in the big woods where they create this hollowed out tree trunk and they put like a little lid over it and they stoke it and so they're constantly um filling it with wood and they essentially tack hunks of meat all, all around the side of the log and so it just like continuously smokes the meat Whoa. and i think they do that for a couple of days it's very intense do they put a fire in the in the tree mm-hmm. at the bottom oh, oh, oh. or like either a fire or they put the hot embers i don't remember which one Whoa. but yeah we can do a uh, modified version of drying our meat by making you can actually make homemade beef jerky in your house Ooh. if you have a oven that either has a dehydration method or you just put your beef in, um, add whatever spices you want to add, and then you can put it, any kind of like uh, beef or steak, um, and then you stick it in the oven and set it at like 175 or 200 degrees and leave it there for a really long time. How long? Um, about, usually three or four hours would work. Oh, wow. Um, and then according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, after you do that, you want to turn it up a little bit to, I want to say, 350 and then, like, bake it for 10 minutes to, like, kill off all of the bad bacteria that could be, like, left on it. But it makes a mean beef jerky. One of my friends did that, and it was super delicious. Whoa. Okay. Okay, yeah. that'll be week yeah. four. Should we do week four? Oh, yeah. Tune in. Tune in. All these great crafts and foods and prairie type things are coming your way lots of things to do lots of things to do (laughs) okay sarah do you have anything to add to our um to our prairie project section yeah um so actually very relevant to today i was doing just going about my day and i got this um notification and so today is wednesday june 17th and there was this headline about maple syrup kind of bring up the topic of racial equality, which I think is very relevant, especially amidst like all these protests. And so I was reading about it and it was actually really cool because they were saying that there is, because of the protests that were sparked by the death of George Floyd, there's a lot of criticism about brands and how they portray, um, what they portray and how they portray people of color in um whatever they're trying to portray so specifically relevant for maple syrup aunt jemima the brand faced a lot of criticism um and so they actually acknowledged today that their brand for syrup and pancake related items was based on a racial stereotype um yeah and so i was really interested in this and i wanted to learn more about like what exactly the racial stereotype was for the syrup or who like aunt jemima is um and it's a symbol of slavery so it turns out that 
The brand is inspired by a minstrel song called called Old Aunt Jemima. Um, And minstrel or minstrelsy is like this American form of entertainment um, that developed in the early 19th century, I want to say. And it was a lot of like comedy related stuff, dancing, music, and performances that depicted um, like black people in a very negative way, in a very derogatory Mm way, um, where they were shown as like, it was like a parody um, to show them as being buffoonish or happy-go-lucky. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting how like this kind of representation has manifested as a symbol of syrup, as something as simple as syrup, but something that we see when we go into like a public grocery store. Um, and I found this really interesting um, quote by somebody, Rishé Richardson, who is an associate professor of African-American literature in the Africana Studies and Research Center at Cornell University, essentially says that this symbol is, it's kind of an, she says that it's an outgrowth of old South plantation nostalgia and romance grounded in an idea about the mammy. So the mammy was mm-hmm. the logo um, for, that they used for Aunt Jemima, um, who was essentially a devoted and submissive servant who eagerly nurtured the children of her white master and mistress while neglecting her own. And so in the um, logo, she's visually portrayed as somebody that's uh, like a plump black woman wearing a headscarf. Um, And the company, um, so Quaker Oats, which is also owned by PepsiCo, did like different iterations of their logo. Um, And they removed the headscarf and they added like, um, they added pearl earrings and a lace collar in 1989 to like help improve the brand. Oh my God. (laughs) But um, I know it's insane, but ultimately they just said they released today that they're going to, their packaging will show changes to their logo. That's going to come out in fall of 2020. um, And the name change will happen soon after that. So I feel like that's really exciting to, and it's a step to kind of change these symbols and how they appear in public spaces and kind of what they represent, which is uh, like systematic abuse and, racial inequality now i want to know what other like symbols there are and what other brands have have been using something like that that's really interesting and very related yeah well it's so relevant and i was like this is very very interesting i think it's also like gonna be interesting to see like how pepsico keeps moving in um support to like change all of their brands to reach this because you know they had that ad a couple of years ago with kendall jenner where she like gave pepsi and like that was oh my god that was a mess so it's like they better kind of step up their game now you know yeah also also the other thing and um you know you guys can argue with me about this (laughs) but i don't even think aunt jemima syrup is good i don't think i've ever had it to be honest it just tastes like sugar. It doesn't taste like maple, so... There's another thing going against the them. <laughs> Go for Kirkland maple. Kirkland maple all the way. K- Kirkland okay. maple. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's very cool. Um, yes, absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Okay. So, moving on. Okay, we're going to go to our section called Prairie Hardships. Mm. So, this was essentially like a tie... Or, basically... Um, this is our section in which we talk about uh, different hardships that prairie families, prairie people, pioneers, whatnot, went through, and how we can relate, but also not at all relate, because <laughs> our lives are obviously easier because we have indoor plumbing and light and electricity and all of those vaccines. things. Vaccines. Wow. Thank but you. Vaccines. <laughs> mm-hmm. You vaccines. got that right. <laughs> yep. 
So, okay. So basically our chosen prairie hardship for today is something called prairie madness. Now this was a real affliction that pioneers and that people living on the prairie um, had. It was essentially a mental breakdown caused by harsh living conditions and extreme levels of isolation on the prairie. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, it had kind of a, it had an actual traceable reason, which was the Homestead Act of 1862, you know, which happened, you know, what is it? Oh gosh, 11 years before now, because um, <laughs> we're in 1873 right now. Um, the Homestead Act essentially gave it, it said that farms had to be um, le- at least a half a mile apart and it gave people 160 acres of land to live on each. Wow. And so what land. happened is that, yeah, and so what happened is all these farms were super far away from each other because of this act. Mm-hmm. And so these people were living basically fully alone outside in the wilderness. Yeah. And a lot often came from like kind of more um, more populated areas like on the East Coast and they're moving their, their um, family westward and they aren't used to this kind of, these kind of, like this kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So uh, essentially it's their version of cabin fever and there are actually firsthand accounts of Prairie Madness. Oh gosh. And one here is from Thomas Main Reed in his novel... Um, written in the first-person voice and set in northern Mexico. It's called The Scalp Hunters or Romantic Adventures in Northern Mexico. But here he talks about prairie fever. He says, With gallops by day and the wilder tales by the night watch fires, I became intoxicated with the romance of my new (laughs) life. I had caught the prairie fever, so my companions told me, laughing. I did not understand them then. I knew what they meant afterwards. The prairie fever, yes. I was just then in process of being inoculated by that strange disease. It grew upon me apace. The dreams of home began to die within me, and with these the illusory ideas of many a young and foolish ambition. That's so interesting. (laughs) And essentially, what's, what's most interesting about prairie madness is that it just disappears from any record in the 20th, 20th century. So huh. it was, you know, it's been it's been basically cataloged. People talk about it. There are firsthand accounts of people discussing their prairie fever, etc. Mm-hmm. And then in the 20th century, it just fully went away and there were no more documented accounts and like no more accounts at all. Um, wow. No discussion of it. Um, so it's an interesting thing. Yeah, no, definitely in Little House, they, so right, they like get their own property on Little House on the Prairie, and they're talking about it, and like their nearest neighbors are miles away, they have like one or two neighbors that they see once in a while, Pa would go to the store, and he would go off for two weeks, so it would leave Ma, and Mary, and Laura, and Carrie, and the babies just home by themselves for like, days on end with nobody else to see but each other they're in the same routine every week like I can just imagine that that gets so frustrating and cooped up especially in the winter if you have to stay inside all the time um so like I don't know that would just sound so awful 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 yeah I mean can you imagine like anytime you need to go to the store you you know you you set up your horse and wagon you put like you know tons of blankets on you yeah and you have to dress in like you know five layers because it's freezing cold mm-hmm. outside and then you kind of trek across the landscape and you don't come back to your family for like a week to two weeks yeah. because it takes so long to get there that's kind of that's wild. crazy that's absolutely wild yeah I- 
I think it was really interesting what you were saying about um, that, like, it started disappearing from, like, mm-hmm. our literature. Um, because I can definitely see, at least in the progression of the books, the where they, they eventually, like, stay on this piece of land and they become, they get a lot closer to town. And so then you ha- start having a lot more interaction with people. And especially even now today, we have, like, the internet. So, yeah, it's you're still disconnected, but you're also much more connected than we will, than we, they ever were in the past. I think it's really interesting. True. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I remember reading something in, in Little House too about mm-hmm. uh, how, you know, the times that they see their family or their friends, mm-hmm. you know, someone has to t- literally, um, you know, take the horse miles and miles away to their family or maybe to their family's house or to their relatives and say on this specific day we are spending time together come that day so that they're ready you know and they have this plan meanwhile all we do is text and we know exactly where everyone is (laughs) all the time and so then three months later then their relatives come and are like this was the day that you told me to come I mean that's just insane yeah that's true. You really have to plan for things. You really got to plan. So there's no instant communication. <laughs> you really got to plan. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, yeah. And oh, then yeah. oh, this is the portion in which we relate this to we Gen Zers who are Ugh. living in 1873 and also in 2020, um, because we related this to like well, and our also own this quarantine <laughs> experiences. Yeah, our own quarantine experiences, which this obviously is like. Our quarantine, I feel like, is nothing related to their lifestyle because Mm-mm. we also have TV and we have all of our technology. Netflix. Netflix. FaceTime. <laughs> Zoom. Oh, yeah. So many di- Facebook, <laughs> Facebook, Skype. We've got it all. <laughs> we do have it all. We do have it yeah. all. So but. we definitely don't have this, like, isolation and, like, the extremity that they had it in. But, Wow. Even yeah. quarantine, though, has been isolating and, like, it's depressing at times because you're by yourself or, like, with your family. You're holed up with them, and they're the only people you talk to. So I feel like things can, you know, sometimes blow out of proportion. <laughs> yeah, it's while. essentially – I feel like it's pretty similar because essentially cabin – so, uh, you know, my dad keeps making a joke like, oh, oh like gosh. we have cabin <laughs> fever, blah, 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 <laughs> which is, you know, this whole idea of – you know, feeling stuck in your place because we're all kind of stuck in our houses right, right now. Right, right, And essentially, some ways to to deal with cabin fever that I found on Healthline.com, important, um, <laughs> is, is to connect with nature, mm. um, which you can do by getting apps that allow you to listen to rain falling if you live in dry California, <laughs> like I or, do. Or, you know, like you and I, you go outside, you lay in the sun for a little bit, or connect with nature, sun. come back and realize you have the rest of the day to connect more with nature. Oh, it's just brilliant. <laughs> you can, you have to get your body moving. So go on hikes, carve out some quiet time, which is me uh, reading books, um, redecorate, redecorate or rearrange your space. And that's kind of an interesting one. I haven't done that yet. And then also transport yourself somewhere else, which is me just fully getting into community and watching three seasons in mm. like a month. That yeah. show is so good. I have been watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy, which kind of just transports you to a hospital. So, yeah, yeah. it's quite <laughs> exciting. Gives you some anxiety, you know. But also, at the end of the day, everything gets resolved. The perfect little brilliant. bundle. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. 
But definitely so, carving out quiet time. I have been reading a lot of books, um, so I think they're a great way to kind of transport you both in time. You can read Little House on the Prairie, go back to the 1870s, um, to different places around the world. It's quite fun. Do it. Yeah. Do you, so Sarah, do you, have you felt a time in quarantine that felt like, uh, that felt like Prairie Madness? That felt like Prairie Madness? Hmm. I think one of the times that I, we will definitely talk about in a later episode where I got very frustrated and I was like, how do people do this is when you have a project that you're trying to do for for me, it was um, sewing some shirts, and I was just like, I am so over this. I was so frustrated with this. I like, oh, I was just like, it's just done. This is as good as it's gonna get. Um, but wow, yeah. So I would say that that was my most frustrated moment, and I think just felt like, oh, is this what the world has come down to? Me spending all this time on just sewing a shirt? Like seriously. Which, yeah. by the way. That'll be one of our segments, so you guys get to make a shirt, too, if you want to. <laughs> It'll we, hated it. we hated it. We hated it. We'll talk about all the merits coming up soon. We will. Um, for me, I feel like my Prairie Madness, let's see, I don't know. I feel like any time that we don't have beer anymore in the house, <laughs> <laughs> that's Prairie Madness right there. Yeah. Because my new, my new routine is that every day at 5 p.m., which I highly recommend this, it's like very, I feel like it could be 1873. We'll see. We'll do like a beer episode because I'm not mm-hmm. totally sure what their beer, what was going on in terms of what alcohol. What their beer culture is. Yeah, not totally sure. So we're we're learning. I don't know. And every day at 5 p.m., I drink a beer, and I also watch TV. Obviously, they didn't have TV, but, you know, it's a good time. And see, if that beer's not there, and it's 5 p.m., I mean, that's bad. So that's when I developed some prairie madness. No beer in our refrigerators that are electrically, you know, run by and magically set to, like, the temperature of 38 degrees to keep everything cold? Genius. Oh, oh it's such a struggle, honestly. Okay. Oh, man, we're kind of going overtime. So now we're going to go to our last segment real quick, which is called Prairie Points. It's when we award each other points for a fun new idea or something that we found out about the prairie, something that kind of we can all get involved in. So, Sarah, what's your prairie point? My prairie point is I'm going to talk about the Carl Griffith 1847 Oregon Trail Sourdough Starter page. It's at carlsfriends.net. And so you guys should do this before we do our bread episode. But essentially, it's this really cool guy who has a starter, a sourdough starter from the 1847, and he's been maintaining it for super long. And so you can send in a self-addressed stamped envelope um, and they will send you some of their dried out starter in a couple of weeks. I am still waiting to get my starter back. Um, and then you can rehydrate that starter and then make your own <laughs> bread with it. So I am really excited about that. I think that you should all do it before we get to, you know, bread week. Oh, I like it. Actually. Yeah. Plan ahead. Cause bread week will probably be in like three weeks or so. So I feel mm-hmm. like, yeah, plan ahead, get that starter going, get it mailed to you so that you're ready to go when we kind of describe, you know, yeah. our bread-making procedure. going to be strong. Esme, what is your prairie points? Okay, this is, uh, this is like an early, uh, also developed my early love for the prairie, um, <laughs> along with, uh, obviously, Kirsten and American Girl and Little House and all that, is mm-hmm. the Oregon Trail video game. I feel like... Did you play <laughs> Oh, all the time. In school. (laughs) We had legitimate, you know when we used to have like, 
it was like the hour of the day where we went and like went to the computer lab to like yeah. learn computers. Yeah. Okay. So the Oregon Trail was part of that, and we would play the Oregon Trail all the time on like these really like bad 2005 PCs or whatnot. <laughs> and um, and it's just so much fun because you basically I don't know if you guys have played it before or whatnot. I don't know if you have Sarah, but it's like I haven't. Oh, it's so good. It's basically like. You're trying to help a family make it make it through the Oregon Trail, which we should have an episode like specifically about the Oregon Trail because that's interesting too. But um, you you follow a family through the Oregon Trail um, and you're trying to kind of help them um, with their like food. So you get to choose like, okay, you reach a river. Like, do you send the horse over or do you do this? (laughs) You have this much food. Who do you feed? Blah, blah, blah. You don't want to kill off your family. Like literally you can. It's like Sims, but maybe before. No, Sims was around then. But yeah, it's it's just really fun. And now they I think have an updated version. Wow. So if if you guys are gonna follow us along on our prairie journey, why not get um the Oregon Trail video game and play it like, you know, at the same time? Okay, so. I'm gonna have to do this this week. Yeah, all, honestly in technology lab or whatever, tech computer science computer lab, all we totally. played was Zoom Beanies. Did you do you know what Zoom Beanies is? No, what's that? Oh, it's in a side game. There are these like blue creatures that are like what? blue blobs and you play games with them. I don't even know. That honestly <laughs> sounds awesome. It was pretty awesome. But I definitely <laughs> want to try the Oregon Trail video game. Ten out of yeah. ten prairie points. Yeah, you also get ten. Are we just gonna give <laughs> each other ten points every time? <laughs> Got up the game. Now next time it'll be at a. I don't know. We'll figure it out. It's a new segment. It's a new segment. All right. Well, we went a bit over time, I think. But um, next week, I don't know if we fully decided on our segment, but we'll be doing a different project every week, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stay okay. tuned for whatever it is. Um, thank you for joining us. We're so glad yeah. you listened to the end. If you're still here. <laughs> Hopefully you're still here. Oh, and we hope that this podcast makes Prairie Life seem relatable and modern. Do these projects with us. So It'll that be we can a lot of fun. We and can more, all much more relatable. Together. Yes, that too. Suffer making sure. <laughs> all right. Remember to hashtag bring the ball back. Bring the bonnet back, stay in 1873, keep your head in the clouds, keep your cows close to you, and we'll see you next week. Bye! Hi, it's Sarah. Thanks for listening to our podcast, One with the Prairie. We'll add all relevant links from our Prairie Project and histories mentioned in the episode on our Instagram. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at One with the Prairie. Heading back to 2020 now. Tune in next week when we go back to 1873.